with a single pill. Give me till Monday morning, 48 hours. I'll give you results that'll skyrocket your stock price. In the most advanced research facility in the world. Wow. Beneath its glassy surface, a world of gliding monsters. A team of specialists is working against the clock. Did someone order the fish? On an experiment to benefit mankind. Sharks never show any loss of brain activity as they age. We're this close to the reactivation of a human brain cell. But before they can save millions of lives... Tell me I didn't see that. They recognize that gun. It's impossible. Sharks do not swim backwards. They can't. They'll have to find a way to save their own. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I'm one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me on this cinematic expedition, as always, is Adam Walker. Adam, welcome back to the to the throes of this podcast. I've, I've swam out of the sea, and let me tell you. If there's one thing I can tell you about how I feel about today, it's that I'm wearing my hat, and it's a it's a shark's fin. Oh, hello! You just went on my the hat. Jaws ride and uh, got a souvenir afterwards. <laughs> got my shark shark's fin hat on. I said, "Welcome back to the podcast," as if you ever left. But you know what I mean. Welcome back to this current incarnation. I meant, of the I meant like welcome back to the. To the death march that is this podcast. <laughs> welcome, welcome back to this 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 space we exist. We never left, but we're back here again. Our Saturdays um, have been consumed with recording, and I have to say, it's been delightful and something that yeah. I look forward to. Yeah, I agree. Actually, in general, my Saturdays have been uh, the best day of my week. They've been quite pleasant because typically, how my Saturday pans out is. Wake up in the morning, make coffee, make a couple bagels for me and, and Charlotte, sit down. There's there's a news program that we watch that we really like, and, and we sit and we watch the news and eat our bagels and drink our coffee. And then, and then I, I have a, a, a respite where I kind of tie up loose ends related to this, this ditty we're thing, ditty thing we're doing, ditty thing. I don't know what that means, but anyways, and then ready to go clean up the house a little bit. It's good. It's a good little, yeah, nice little Saturday. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, to piggyback off of, uh, last week we did the old switcheroo and, uh, we watched a movie this week that you haven't seen 
and that I have seen, unlike mm-hmm. last week with Ricky O, which I hadn't seen and that you had uh, nominated. So, um, having said that, we are reviewing and watching uh, Deep Blue Sea tonight. Um, it's one of my favorite, uh, like, uh, animal. <laughs> Big dick animal movies, I guess, like aggressive animal movies, like yeah. in the vein of like, nature. Nature runs amok. Yes, yes, like in the vein yes. of Anaconda and obviously right. Jaws and all those types of movies. But yes, what are your initial thoughts having seen it for the first time? <laughs> it's hard See, to I lo- maybe I, maybe I, hard to <laughs> put into words. See, this is why I love our dynamic because. You will bring to the table these dumb as fuck big budget movies that normally like I will be like, I I don't give a fuck about that. But I appreciate that you do it because what it does is it forces me to confront things that I should confront if I'm going to be a truly well-rounded movie connoisseur and critic. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I've... I went into this movie basically with similar kind of emotions as I did with the Waterworld episode. I was going to say, it sounds like a, a Waterworld uh, rearing its head again. <laughs> and in very, very many ways, I feel like watching this movie and the way this movie is made and the way this movie does its thing, there's a lot of parallels to Waterworld. So it made sense to me. So this is like, so far, this is season two's water world for me. Wow. But, okay. But I will say this. I'll say this. As opposed to with Waterworld, which I had a genuine interest in watching it sometime just because of its legendary status. This movie, honestly, like, I never really gave a fuck about ever watching because, and this is why. I feel like the whole shark monster premise will never, ever, ever come close to touching the big daddy of this, which is Jaws. And yeah, I I think, I think, I think in general with a few exceptions, I'm, I am not particularly into the whole animals attack nature runs amok type of genre. So yeah, that was kind of my initial thoughts. I will say that with other movies of this ilk that we've watched, my feelings in those regards were tempered and changed a bit. So I came out on the other end of it, at least enjoying it more than I expected. I'll say that much. Well, I'll be interested in, in our discussions because sometimes um, through our discussion, the other person ends up liking the movie more after kind of discussing how they felt about it and bouncing their ideas off of somebody else. Sometimes talking about a movie that you've seen for the first time, just like when you walk into a movie theater and see a movie with somebody and you walk out and all you do is talk about it on the way home. Maybe you didn't like it when you, when you saw it in the theater, but as you're walking out and you're like talking with somebody else about it, you you kind of digest it differently. So, yeah. And I will also say this, this was another circumstance where after I read more about it and did more research, that also helped me to appreciate it more. And it also either be it from the directorial or writer's angle discussing it or from like fans kind of sussing some things out there. When you do that, 
it kind of helps you to clarify what are to me like the inconsistencies in the movie a little bit where you're just like watching you're like that's no come on you know and there's a lot of that with this movie but there's like i read more things about it i was like okay well if you look at it that way i suppose it makes more sense you know what i mean like some of like the plot plot whole aspects to it are just completely like hollywood like batshit fucking crazy aspects to it so you know that's the thing i i can't I came around to it when I watched it. It was enjoyable. After doing research, I, I came around to it a little more. Not a complete flop, in my opinion. As Waterworld was. More more so Waterworld. But even Waterworld, like I said, I came out on the other end and be like, yeah, it was fun. Sure, like, I didn't hate it. It, was, it wasn't torturous to watch. It wasn't, you know, a fucking slog as I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this so. uh, this movie is is just um, very much, very much indicative of of its director, and his fingerprints are all over it. And it's it's mm-hmm. Rennie Harlan, and I think just everything he does is uh, on an absurd level. So yeah, I think taking that into account um, helps because if you know his track record and the way he makes movies. Um, it's just a big, dumb, fun action movie. Cliffhanger is just like a big, dumb, fun action movie with a ton of completely unrealistic, ridiculous fucking things thrown in just because he loves this idea of the bigger, the better. Like, I feel yeah. like he just, he came to the States and, He's the kind of European that comes to the States and is enamored by like half gallon jugs of fucking Diet Coke and like, <laughs> like <laughs> just big fucking trucks on the road and shit like and billboards every five fucking miles telling you what to buy. Instead of being disgusted by it, I feel like he's the kind of person that came here and was like, this is this is the shit. This is the shit I love. Like this rules. And he directs like that. He's like a. He's, he's very much like a wild card director. Yeah, I feel like Rennie Harlan is is basically a, a dumber Verhoeven. Yeah. His, yeah. Respects, you know <laughs> but, what I mean? And, and, to, and that's an interesting point because this is in the same vein of dumb fun as Total Recall. Just like something really, really stupid and fun for like – two hours except total recall source material. There's a lot of allegories there that, yeah, you know, uh, and I'll get in, I I get into this uh, a little later, but for, for what it's worth right now, Rennie Harlan just isn't into the, into subtext or (laughs) right. And that's what I mean. Things meaning anything other than, yeah, this is a, these are fucking big ass sharks. Like, and that's <laughs> fine. And I think that's fun. Yeah. And I, and I, for my viewing, I love this just as much as the other 50 times I watch it. I fucking absolutely love this movie. I think it's just big action set piece after big action set piece after big action set piece. It's just like they go into different rooms and then they set up the room and the situation and then some crazy shit happens. And then it goes to the next room and it's a mile a minute. It's like from beginning to end, it's just nuts. And it's basically a slasher film in an underwater laboratory. Like the shark yeah. serves as a Michael Myers of sorts. Like everyone's going to fucking get it. 
Anyway, I don't want to get too much into why I like it. We'll save that for the good, right. the bad, the questionable, and all that. So let's just get into it right away and um, just start with the general premise for anyone who maybe hasn't seen it. It's and I got really lazy with the with the plot description. I just pulled, <laughs> pulled this straight from Wikipedia, but it's a, it's a perfect uh, description. Set in an isolated underwater facility, the film follows a team of scientists and their research on mako sharks to help fight Alzheimer's disease. The situation plunges into chaos when multiple genetically engineered sharks go on a rampage and flood the facility. That's the general um, idea of it. Um, in terms of Money made, reviews, that sort of thing. Uh, had a production budget of um, sixty to eighty-two million, uh, which is a strange window. <laughs> it's like yeah. twenty twenty-two million dollar difference. Um, it grossed seventy-three point seven million in the U.S. and Canada, so I would say that's about breaking even. But it um, did ninety-one point four million internationally, uh, and it had a total gross of one hundred sixty-five million. So. Yeah, fairly successful. Um, one of his more successful films. Uh, Ray, uh, in terms of reviews, I was pleasantly surprised um, to find. So, our uh, our old nemesis, uh, Rajib, old Roger Ebert, <laughs> he's, uh, he's back in our back in our good graces he gave this three stars uh mind you we do we do out of five but roger ebert notoriously did out of four um and anything three and above is two thumbs up basically uh, which that was so, wild to me that he gave this three out of four stars three out of four. i know he said the movie is essentially one well done action sequence after another which is funny that's what i just said it involves yeah. all the usual situations in movies where fierce creatures chase victims through the bowels of a ship spacecraft building the alien movies deep rising etc it's just right. that it does them well it doesn't linger on the special effects for too long some of the sharks look cartoonish at times but it knows how to use timing, suspense, quick movement, and surprise. Good on, good on Rajiv. He's back in our good graces, which is good to hear. Um, yeah, he, he's, I, he's pretty spot on. I felt like with that. Yeah, that's a great. That's a that's a fair review. I even tried to find people that like scathing reviews for this. I everything was middling to great like everyone was either like it's an okay movie it's fun and you'll get through it and be on the other side before you know it and it's and you'll ha you'll have had fun or this is the which is the category i'm in the second best option to jaws like the the next best fucking shark idea next to jaws and there's been lots of imitators that have come across uh along the way but this is in terms of <laughs> entertainment value second only to what can be considered not only the greatest shark movie of all time, but maybe one of the greatest films of all time. So it's hard to, it's hard to even breed yeah. both, both movies in the same breath. But I even found our fucking old boy, Stephen Holden, who gave that scathing review of dead alive. I even tracked him down. I was like, this guy had to have said something fucking dumb. And Sure enough, he did, or he did not actually. He said, "Quote: Yes, in its dumb, bludgeoning way, this is a lot of fun." <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. If, if we can't get old white guys to complain about this movie, then I don't. I don't know if there's anyone that had any issue with it whatsoever. Um, did you have any anything to add to to any of that? 
No, I mean, you pretty much summed it up. Yeah, it was like the uh, even the the by the metric of Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and various sources, you know, the 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 average uh, is middle and it's like around like five and a half to six percent, you know, out of whatever. It's surprising. And, you know, obviously, as someone who loves this movie, it's surprising from the aspect that it is conceptually a quote-unquote big dumb movie and those movies tend to get there's always there's always people that want to drag those kinds of movies back down to earth but i think most people were just like it's the end of the millennium there's fucking there's just giant mako sharks loose in an underground laboratory it's it's the summer of 99 like yeah i'm fucking going to see this and i'm gonna have a great time and i think most people walked away having a good time rennie harlan is going to guarantee you have a good time. Whether or not everything makes sense or it's based in any sort of reality is is another argument. But he's going to make sure you have a good time. I was going to point out, because I, I, I haven't done this before, but I didn't know if you knew this, that on lists of bad directors, you know that Rennie Harlan shows up consistently. Yes, yes. Along Rennie with Har- our, our other boy, Joel Schumacher, and Schumacher that we, that we talked about. This so. po- I mean, I think we, when we conceptualize this podcast, this podcast was meant to embrace the discarded and the otherwise the dregs of cinematic society, and to repurpose <laughs> yes. them in a new light. That is <laughs> That's uh, true. Uh, to reappraise mm-hmm. uh, what was once thought of as. Uh, the dregs of the cinematic world. Uh, so yeah. I, I embrace Rennie Harlan uh, because of this. I'm no fool. His fucking, <laughs> his fucking filmography is littered with trash. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he makes trash. He makes trash. He lives in trash. He's uh, the Oscar the Grouch of directors. He lives in the trash, but he fucking, that he would have it no other way. He wants, he wants to be in, in the, in the shit. Um, but for what it's worth, he gave us Cliffhanger. Die Hard 2 is one of the best action sequels. Uh, it's fucking up there. It, it, it's almost as good as the original. Um, and parents, go ahead. I was going to say, and I wanted to add this. I feel like of the later, the latter half of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, he made the, the better sequel. He had a serviceable Nightmare on Elm Street. I expected, but I, frankly, more insanity but i feel like he was right ra- he he was almost confined within the world of freddy and couldn't do uh he didn't do a harlan freddy he like came in as a director that wanted to do another uh sequel like his doesn't stand out to me as like this is the rennie harlan nightmare on Elm street um it's, it's got some it's got some pretty batshit deaths and sequences though that's why I'm. It's just hard. It's hard when when those movies are already like sure dialed up to. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, I mean, it's hard to stand out, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially after the third one, which in terms of the progress of the of the that franchise, the third one was the one where they really leaned into the Freddy's a wacky madman. You know, yeah. like that's yeah. got all the one liners and everything. Which you know, he always had the one liners, but you know, that's the one where I feel. Like they have the most quotable one-liners, and you know, Rennie Harlan, he just he just added a little bit extra, you know, to that. But you're right; it's not it's not, I guess, as completely 
completely big budget batshit over the top. But anyway, it's but you're right though. It's not. I mean, it's nowhere near the worst. There's so many worse ones. It's in the top five. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's up there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's good to point out. Because um, yeah, I agree. This this but this podcast is is here to try to embrace those kinds of cast-offs. Um, yes. So let's get into it. The good, the bad, and the questionable. Just, just, just to kick it off, um, I, I love Harlan's mindset and the reasoning behind why he made this movie and reading what he talked about when making this movie, he wanted to make a, which is funny. I don't actually see it as such, but he wanted to make a big budget horror movie to close out the millennium. Um, I see this more of an action movie than it is an action sci-fi movie than it is a traditional horror movie or yeah, he has some horror elements. I get it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, but he thought that he thought the genre at at that point in 1999 had strayed away from what made it so popular in the 70s with like The Shining and Jaws and The Exorcist, like these real big budget uh, horror movies that um, you know producers were willing to throw a lot of money at. Um, he thought like horror had become a bastard child. Uh, genre and had been relegated to like low budget tongue in cheek cash grabs, which is not, not that far off of an assessment. Um, so he wanted to essentially make a loving homage to those big budget horror of the seventies. So just from a, a perspective, just from that perspective, I love that that's how he went to tackle this movie. Now, whether or not you agree, that's the kind of movie that he made is, is whatever, <laughs> but that's that's where he was at with his assessment, and I like that he was he was wanting to go there and w- went all out to fucking try and do it. Um, so I I, lo- I love that he that he attempted that. Yeah, yeah, and to reiterate what we kind of said with uh, the critical praise of it, the pacing is amazing. It just it's one of those movies, super action packed, right from the get go, sets off and it doesn't let up throughout the entire movie. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. You're just getting assaulted with, you know, all kinds of crazy, like kind of tense scenarios and, and, you know, violence and, and death. And yeah, it, it does that pretty masterfully. I will, I will say. So there's something truly terrifying about in, in jaws and in the way most shark, sharks are depicted in cinema it's uh you're in the open water and the vast openness of the ocean is at play but there's something much more terrifying about being in a tight corridor or or a very very in very close quarters of a facility that has been flooded and these sharks are navigating it now it's like your world has become their world, and now you are in a much tighter quarter, much tighter quarters with them. And I think it's it really is effective 
in the kitchen scene when LL Cool J is that is genuinely there's genuinely like I don't want to say terrifying, but there's genuinely like thrilling scenes where you're like, fuck, like you all you see is the fin like in the debris of all the kitchen shit, and you're <laughs> like, fuck. This like it, it's such a good setup. I, I love the premise of it. Yeah, there's multiple levels of claustrophobia in that, yeah, in that scene. Claustrophobic. Actually. Yeah. And also yeah. in in general, the ocean is fucking terrifying. Just you know. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, we've explored so, so little of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that in and of itself is, you know, something that will set you up to be, you know, kind of in a constant state of tension when you're like, well, you know, like you just don't know what, what could get you in the ocean, I guess. And, and on top of that, you could just, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you can die and drowning whatever it's just in general yeah and so. we just have like as a, as as humans we have this genuine uh fascination with sharks in particular they're just mm-hmm. like seemingly perfect killing machines and i i as a little boy to this day i have always sharks have always been my my favorite fucking like animal from a just like a i'm gonna learn every factoid about sharks perspective um yeah and i i've just always been completely enamored with with them and so any any sort of big shark movie i will fucking always go see but a lot of times they're complete shit so <laughs> that's that's the thing that's why i've never explored it too much because i'm just like i don't know if this is gonna do it for me so admittedly my my knowledge in that area is pretty <laughs> limited I, I probably seen maybe parts of other ones, you know, but they're not something I go to other than Jaws. Jaws is the only one where I personally feel drawn back to rewatching. So I've not been so pissed at a fucking movie than when <laughs> I went to go see The Meg. Cause, and, and, and this ties <laughs> back to Deep Blue Sea because for what for whatever you want to say about Deep Blue Sea, Go see something like The Meg, which for all <laughs> intents and purposes is is trying to be like Deep Blue Sea. I mean, it's another just reincarnation of this idea of a giant shark movie that had a bunch of fucking money thrown at it and a, you know, all-star cast. And it sucked ass. It was so fucking bad, like unbelievably mm-hmm. bad. So as simple as you think you could do a, a, a shark movie and get it right – it's actually incredibly difficult. And that's what makes me like this movie even more because the rewatchability is through the roof. And I, I would, I would since rather get paper cuts all over my body and take a a bath in lemon juice than watch the fucking Meg again. So. Yeah. And I think with this movie, it's, it's a mashup of aliens, Jurassic park and jaws. And it was created in close enough proximity to those movies to, you know, be recognizable as a loving homage and also be something that's considered, you know, a fresh reinvention of the of the idea. You know what I mean? Yes. Whereas immediately after that, of course, as Hollywood is apt to do in a capitalist, you know, sort of paradigm, you know, kind of like structure, 
they're like, oh, well, this one did good, so let's make thirty more. You know, right. and it's like, right. okay. Well, they're still <laughs> trying to they're still trying to catch Magic in a Bottle with Jaws. I mean, they're still trying to. Yeah. I mean. They, they drove that into the ground with endless sequels and, and <laughs> yeah. endless parodies and, you know, whatever. Right. Um, more good. I like that. And I said this off the top, but I like that this movie isn't afraid to kill everybody. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I thought about th- that, too, towards the end. I'm like, man, they're because I'd never seen. I was like, they're going to kill everybody in this. Holy it's shit. Very slashery. <laughs> without, the only thing that doesn't make it. Uh, a full blown slasher with a shark instead of a supernatural human is is uh, there's no final girl really right at all. But um, which I can't wait to get to talk about that aspect of it. Oh, buddy, in go your, on in your bad. Yes, yes. Um, well, yeah, good and bad, I guess. But it, so, but you know, it 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 kills everybody. And outside of like slasher movies, most big budget movies are timid about laying waste to the entire cast. <laughs> totally. Because <laughs> every, everybody wants to end on some sort of like note of hopefulness. Yes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It, so, but this movie leans in hard into that notion. Um, yeah. And Harlan was even quoted as saying he was inspired by the casting in Alien. And that's how he did his casting in Sure. In, in this movie, because Alien, you it was this idea that uh, you never knew who was going to die. Um, and he purposely cast a mix of relatively unknown actors, character actors, and a certified star in Samuel L. Jackson. Um, right. He used that Alien formula of casting. And I think the Samuel L. Jackson death scene is very much akin to the chestburster scene in Alien in terms of like, Holy shit! Like, what is going on? And I, right. and also, like, I never saw that coming. So I, he did. He used it to great effect. His casting was was brilliant. Yeah. So that I like to talk about. You know, the fulcrums or the the central kind of c- scenarios and scenes that movies kind of pivot off of, where you're like, okay, this is the turning point. It's funny that that scene with Samuel Jackson is considered so legendary because. It is like it is a pretty like creative device where it uses that premise of you're invested in this hero sort of sympathetic character and, you know, he just gets wasted. What is in apparently the, the, you know, an early part of the film and in a point where that character is trying to provide some sort of, you know, out for the crew or for the the cast to be like we got a chance you know it's got this kind of like fucking heartfelt corny you know setup where it's like yeah we're, we can do this don't worry like i've been through worse i know how to get us out of this and then bam it's just like oh fuck you know <laughs> he's saying i i legit like when that happened because i knew that he died in this movie because of the Chappelle shit but i was like oh wow they really they fucking did him in good they <laughs> 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 fucked his ass up so the genius of of killing samuel jackson in that way is also like he's in the he's in the midst of giving like a like a king leonidas uh 300 like to like right like, to try to like uh, motivate the Spartans kind of speech. Like he's in the yeah. middle of a motivational talk. And yeah. even the music is like, is 
is leading you to believe that this is just the point in the movie where Samuel L. Jackson tells everybody like what the what the fucking plan is and gets everybody in order and then it's horrific like it's so <laughs> good and the, and the cut to everybody else's a sheer appall at the situation is is great it's it it's genuinely still like holy hell i like i know it's coming every time and i'm like this is just fantastic i, I love that he's not in the movie that much really at all yeah he's not he's not really at all uh, and honestly like <laughs> For Samuel Jackson, it's a pretty understated character. He's not somebody that, you know. No, yeah, for him, for I sure. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, you kind of like, in certain ways, expect him to be like a bombastic sort of, you know, you know, very um, masculine in certain ways kind of character or whatever. Um, and has that kind of look in his eyes like, oh, you know, this motherfucker, he'll fuck you up. But like with this one, it's not so much. He's a very understated, you know, he's a, he's supposed to be a professional, you know, he's there to, uh, to ensure the bottom, the bottom line right. of the, he's, of the research. He's the money. He works for the, the money pharmaceutical man. company that, yeah, is backing this research. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good play on his part. Cause I don't think a pharmaceutical rep would come in being like, we got to get these motherfucking mangoes <laughs> off this motherfucking laboratory. Yeah. That probably wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't work. Um, yeah. So more good. Uh, I genuinely love the character of the chef. Um, yes. Preacher on, and more so actually, <laughs> cause on paper, it would be totally intolerable with his like constant religious virtue signaling. Yes. <laughs> yes. But LL Cool J just like makes that character work and you are genuinely rooting for him. Like he's 100%. not at all insufferable. Uh, he's got the trope of like the former hard drinking, uh, you know, preacher turned chef. Like, I, you know, he's got all these, all these tropes, but he just makes it work. On paper, you would be like, fuck this character. But in reality, it's he's great. Yeah, I agree by and large. There is some aspects towards the end of the movie where, you know, they're really leading into the, you know, the preacher aspect of him and the Christian aspect where I'm just like, okay, that's fucking corny. But that character in general, yes. I love that character. He's funny. And you are definitely hoping that this dude makes it throughout the whole whole time of the movie and the fact that the end is a surprise to me actually I love that even more because this is the thing you know I they make the uh, the doctor's character uh, McAllister Susie, they make yeah. her on yeah, they make her unlikable throughout the movie. You get to a point where you're like, all right, fuck this lady. She's a fucking idiot. She fucked everything up. Like, everything about what she's doing and, you know, with the research is like, you know, you're like, okay, you don't, you, you get to a point where you just don't care about her as a character or you want to see her, her die. And the twist being at the end where, yes, you expect her to be the final girl. You expect her to be the one to triumph. And even when it gets to the end there where Preacher gets attacked by the shark and I was just like, 
I was like, God damn it. They did that thing where they fucking, they take out all the black guys. (laughs) None of the black people fucking survive in this movie. It's only the goddamn dumb white people. But then they fucking flip it. And I was like, yes, they kill that bitch instead. And I'm like, good. And they keep him. (laughs) So I was pretty stoked on that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he was, you know, the one that, you know, you wanted to see make it the whole time because he's so likable and they but that's the ll cool j factor like he's bringing the likableness <laughs> to that character i'm not sure a lot of a lot of other actors do that honestly <laughs> right um, he makes it work yeah so that was cool um i did want to interject real quick um i don't know if you were going to say this but i genuinely there there's a there is a yes but with this one I love the animatronic sharks in this, but there will be a however to that, which we'll get to. But I want to say that I do genuinely think that the the robot sharks in this are great. They look super cool. They are phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did a great right. job. At, at and then doing those. the research, we'll get into it in the wiki wormhole, but yeah. um, they are magnificent to the point where the cast was genuinely like creeped out by them because they looked so fucking real like their gills actually moved in and out and shit like they were hyper realistic i just don't think it was um i I just don't think it was doable to use them in every fucking shark instance just the the amount of shit that they wanted them to do Um, which we'll get to absolutely about that part <laughs> yes yeah i mean it, obviously that's the the cgi is in the in the bad for sure Dude. certain parts um yeah any more good i have some scraps of good left but what do you have anything else that you want to talk about um i like the idea of this cool gigantic research facility it looks cool uh, even though to me the engineering aspect of that and actual building of it seems kind of far-fetched. I don't know. I'm sure there are parallels to this in the real world, but, but to me, it's like, this is another throwback to, uh, the aliens, you know, references is it's, just, you know, this cool kind of fa- intricate facility that seems yeah. to never end and just keeps going down further and further and further. That, I just love that concept in general of this giant, facility in the middle of the ocean um and it's funny too because i was thinking about water world again with that where it was you know in water world there's the you know there's the colony in the middle of the ocean that was built and you're just like you know it it just also it it points to this whole uh, you know idea again about like being in the water working in the water having to do anything in the water being just like so difficult and precarious and any sort of engineering, like the whole time I'm watching it, I was thinking about, okay, if someone did actually build a facility like this, do you, can you imagine how much it would suck to be the construction workers that had to build that thing? Yeah. It seems, it, it seems like an impossible task. Like, <laughs> right. like it doesn't even seem like conceptually possible. <laughs> right. So but yeah, but that's it's cool. super cool. It's super cool. But also it's also cool to see it get blown up and fucking yeah. destroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know well, what it's I mean? also a manifestation so, of, of man's creation. 
just being laid to waste by a more ancient being. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's I'm that sure whole idea. I think of it like that, but like that's, no. that's, that's there. Or, I mean, maybe he did. I mean, I feel like with a lot of these movies, like the, the nature runs amok sort of thing. It's, you know, the, if there is a subtext that can be gleaned from it, it's this idea that, you know, humans, um, they, they push, you know, the buttons of nature too much and stick their noses in places that they shouldn't and create chaos and crisis when they, you know, they shouldn't obviously. And then there's, there's these repercussions that, you know, fall back upon them. And that's obviously, you know, that's a, that's the whole point in Jurassic Park as well. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't, yeah. you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing these things. And, it, uh, and the whole like idea that it, there's a profit incentive behind it. So it's just like, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I just read this book called capitalist realism that kind of talks about this, where there is this inherent distrust and dislike for capitalism and capital being the enemy in a lot of these movies, these Hollywood movies, but they're created within, you know, the, you know, the confines within of a highly the, ca- yeah, capitalist yeah. society. So it's like this whole idea of, you know, this Ouroboros working upon itself of capitalism's bad, but we need capitalism to make these, you know, movies. And it's just funny to me, but that's like an aspect of it that I thought about. Um, but Certainly. let's see it's what true. else. What else? Uh, uh, you know, the, the, that's basically uh, some other goods that I would say. I don't have much else other than, you know, we've talked about the good, you know, outside of the outside of when we started the good category. When I when we started off the top, I pretty much mentioned some of this other stuff about just um, what I like about this movie. The, the other thing is that this is the last great Rennie Harlan movie. Like he really just right. never did anything great ever again. Uh, yeah, which is crazy because he had a just an epic run in the '90s with Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger and this and I, I th- oh that's what I was going to say earlier. My parents took me to see Cutthroat Island, and then obviously at the time I had no idea who Rennie Harlan was. But my parents mm-hmm. took me to see Cutthroat Island, which is seen as one of the most abject disaster fucking movies <laughs> of all time. And I had the best little kid time of all of, of, of like in the theaters that I can remember. Um, so I remember yeah, seeing and, Cutthroat Island and, and so that's in the nineties too. It's right in the night, right in 95, right in the middle. Yeah. And I was thinking about that when I was watching this movie, cause I remember you mentioned that when we talked about cliffhanger. Um, but also it was funny cause Charlotte brought up while we were watching it. She was like, I loved Cutthroat Island when I was a kid. I loved pirates and <laughs> I've never seen it. So, but I think it's funny cause I made the connection between you and her that like, this seems to be a Cutthroat Island seems to be a cherished movie for people that I know <laughs> from their childhood. Hits differently <laughs> like, when you're a kid. Like it just yeah, hits a sure. lot differently. You're not thinking about all this stupid crap. You're just entertained and it's, 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 the, it's the lowest common denominator of entertainment. Like just thrill me, thrill me. Well, baby. It's, it's funny because I know we've talked about this before and I know that it, it, comes with a grimace from certain people i think you included when i say this that i feel that way about gremlins like i can still watch gremlins and love it but there's something about like what happened i don't know like there was this i got it in my head that the plot holes of gremlins are just so glaring to me that it's hard for me to have as much of a good time watching but it's you know it's one of those movies that is so cherished by so many people myself included from your childhood so anyways you're dead inside (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> that's, that's really what it comes out to. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the bad. Um, go ahead. Uh, you can start. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? Whoa, holy shit, the CGI in this is fucking garbage. It really, like, dampers your viewing uh, respect for this movie. The, the fact that, yes, like, I get it. Again, what you just said earlier, they can't extrapolate the use of the animatronics into everything. It's, it's just not feasible or wasn't at the time. And the CGI just wasn't developed enough. Even CGI now, like, you know, yeah, it's it's leagues better. But, you know, you can still see it and be like, Ugh. but like this was a time where it was in such a nascent form that it's just horseshit to watch. It's just so, you know. You know, Sims charactery fucking budget rate fucking looking in a movie. It just is a bummer. <laughs> Doesn't hold up a lot. <laughs> uh, it's, ni- it's 1999 CGI. Um, yeah. I, what I find to be actually the most abhorrent is is the most notorious scene in the movie is the most glaringly bad in terms of CGI. Like, it's so bad. Like it, it almost so ruins this idea of, of the surprise. Um, but like, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like if you're going to, if you have that, if you have that as your money shot and you, <laughs> and you don't, why would you not, I get it. Maybe conceptually, it's just impossible to have a, a, a fucking, this like eight ton mechanical, 8,000 pound mechanical shark leap out of the water and grab Samuel L. Jackson without actually fucking ripping him to shreds in reality. It's right. probably very hard, right. but they did not try. I mean, that is a that is a <laughs> fucking cartoony shark coming out of the water and killing him. But you're just so taken aback at the surprise of it that it doesn't hit as hard. But when you know that's coming, like with me for the thirtieth viewing, all <laughs> I can see is how bad it is. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't take away from me. Like it doesn't ruin the movie for me particularly. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, it goes back to this bravado of Rennie Harlan was like trying to one up, not, not in a loving way, in an homage, not like in a serious way, but he was trying to one up Spielberg in, in some aspects. And he's, he's like, it's 1999. Now jaws was in the seventies. We've come so far in technology. Um, Spielberg notoriously shied away from ever showing the shark. It's more of a, it's all in your head. You actually don't yeah. see it uh, very much at all. Randy yeah. Harlan said, fuck that. I'm going to show the sharks more more than you fucking care for. And it's, <laughs> yeah, to, right. it's to its detriment. That was yeah. his mindset was they're, they're bigger, they're badder, and they're scarier. And I'm going to show it to you because you know what's... Mm. That that's fucking bullshit that, that the unknown is scarier than what I can show you. Like, that's what he's saying. Like... I'm going to show you what's scary. Yeah, it's not scary. It's, it's, uh, it sucks. It sucks ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's funny too, because the scene in the very beginning, when the shark bites off Stellan Skarsgård's character's arm, that one, it's not glaringly like shitty looking, no, but it's, it's just from fantastic. That's one of the best looking sharks in any movie ever. Cause that's the mechanical yeah. one. Right. But then from there on out, you know, any, yeah, any attempt to show the sharks killing people underwater, that's where it really 
it, it's glaring other than the, you know, the, the Samuel Jackson scene where it jumps out of the water. But yeah, those shots, they're all obviously so fucking fake and ridiculous. And it's, and it's, it's the opposite of what we were talking about with dead alive and Ricky. O, where yes, they're, these are obviously fake props and, and prosthetic prosthetics, excuse me, but it's fun because that's the difference between practical effects and CGI is you can make it work and be charming with practical effects, but with CGI, it just never, it's got to be done so well or so delicately or so, you know, uh, subtly in certain ways that it just, it just looks shitty if you try to be too over the top and too, you know, obvious with it, especially then. If you watch anything from the 90s where they're utilizing CGI, like there's so many episodes of X-Files that get, you know, kind of tainted when you see the bad CGI that they try to interject into the episodes. You know, it is. It's so <laughs> it's definitely the the lead off for the bad, I think. You know, uh, we are in agreement. Um, really? Yeah, that's really the, that is the big bad of this movie. It's so. the big glaring. Yeah, it's the monkey in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the CGI monkey. The CGI monkey. Um, in terms of so to speak to like to kind of like what I was saying with his Rennie Harlan's inability to like <laughs> he's like a bull in a china shop in terms of like a fucking director. Um <laughs> So this idea of like is it like completely just not understanding subtext uh yeah. and and that sort of thing but like jaws in jaws the subtext of jaws is capitalism will be the death of us all literally and the 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 evil in jaws is the mayor of amityville it's not the shark it's yeah. his inability to be able to put people before profits that yeah. dooms us all, uh, and and this this idea of absolute power corrupting absolutely, and all that—that's all subtext in Jaws, both in the book yeah. and in the movie. And Spielberg does an excellent job of driving that home. But that's the subtext of the film, and that idea, that concept is kind of repurposed in Jurassic Park in the role of John Hammond. This idea yeah. of somebody that's putting profits before people, and again to the behest of his own fucking family and all these researchers that's reached researchers that he's brought into Jurassic park. Anyway, mm-hmm. Rennie just has no idea of subtext. Like he just doesn't get that. Um, he's, he's just like, how can I make a shark scarier? Well, they will be genetically engineered to be bigger, smarter and more dangerous because bigger <laughs> equals better. And, you know, love him or hate him. He just has this one dimensional kind of macho approach to filmmaking. Like it's, he's a very, he's like a, a big, he's a big dick energy filmmaker, bigger <laughs> explosions, bigger deaths, yeah. bigger personalities. Like that's what he drives home. Like he, he uses a sledgehammer to fucking put a, 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 a nail, like to hammer right. a nail home, like unnecessarily yeah. macho in his approach to shit. And so I think love him or hate him. That's also part of the bad is, is, is unwillingness to compromise when it comes to that. Yeah. Because of course this whole, idea that this movie rests upon researching captive sharks in this way is fundamentally inhumane 
<laughs> you know, so like, you know, it, whatever, you know, for one, genetically modifying them in any way to the to the point where they would be dangerous and also then extracting a protein from them to use for a pharmaceutical, you know, again, it's all just like <laughs> very speciesist and inhumane. So, yeah, I was on my bad, but... But again, those sort of things, when you watch any movie, especially from certain eras, you know, you, you, what you do is you, you compartmentalize those things because there's plenty of movies that I watched that, that maybe my moral ethical core, you know, it might fly in the face of, but I'm just, I'm watching a movie to be entertained. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't affect this movie in particular because, um, it's a big, dumb movie. So I'm not looking for a subtle subtext out of it. But if you're going to have this idea of researching specific for specifically for Alzheimer's and all that, there's, there's a, there's a plethora of, of subtext that you could, uh, you know, put into this movie that would be actually pretty cool, but yeah, there's, right. there's none to be found. Yeah. Nor was I looking for it. I wasn't like, uh, oh, this big dig Rennie Harlan uh, genetically engineered shark movie doesn't have subtext. <laughs> no, how dare you? Yeah, right. The only other bad that I have is there is a cover of Madonna's La Isla Bonita, which is one of my favorite Madonna songs. And it is a fucking slog of a shit track of real, just real like bad. Ni- 1999 repurposing of a classic Madonna track that can just go straight into the shitter. It fucking is a, it is a, just an assassination on my ears. Like I, I cannot well, believe that it exists. That's funny that you mentioned the music being a bad, but also there's a good bad for me and good in the sense that it is so again, ridiculous and <laughs> fucking dumb. Uh, but also bad is the LL Cool J rap at the end. You he contributed two songs to this soundtrack. Two. But yeah. particularly the, the, the credit track where, you know, in the chorus, as I hinted at at the top of the show, my hat is like a shark fin, which, okay, how so and why? And we we watched it on YouTube and in the in the comments, somebody had made the you know, the point. Yeah, this is just another old school rap guy with some whack ass fucking nonsensical line deliveries coming through here. It's like, OK, the, we should post the uh, the uh, deepest blue music video on our Instagram when this when this drops. Uh, that fucking, I, I agree. That, well, so like, yeah, that, I I'm in total agreement with you. It's good, bad. I mean, okay, they got like they got like a token rapper to be in this in this fucking quasi horror movie in the late '90s. Like that is about as that's like peanut butter to jelly. Um, <laughs> and they had him contribute to the fucking soundtrack. Of course, why the fuck not? But actually, well, the score is actually in the soundtrack itself is actually good. The the Madonna yeah. cover sucks my ass. I'm not sure it's even part of the the movie, really. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's in the movie, but it, I don't, I wouldn't consider it part of the soundtrack or the score. I mean, I think all yeah. of that is actually really good. It's composed well. Yeah, because of all the aspects where they wanted to cut corners on the budget, apparently they wanted to cut corners on shelling out royalties to Madonna for that song. So they couldn't have had the original for whatever reason. Or and- just 
not have that so you don't have to have La Isla Bonita. <laughs> sure. That's like a must have. Uh yeah, it's strange. And the and the well, I was gonna say the video the video itself for that that LL Cool J song probably also costs like five million dollars or whatever because it's all the choreographed like swimmers and and the underwater like orchestra (laughs) they had to do it like while filming on set because it's like like on set and i'm not sure if i fucked up the name of it because it was off the top of my head but the song is called deepest bluest which is even more absurd really Yes, it's it's no. Like anyway, if okay. you're gonna go, if that's okay. the name of the song, why did you not call it deepest, bluest, seest? <laughs> why stop with the hyperbole? Like just get the, yeah. say the whole fucking name of the movie. Deepest, bluest, seest. Yeah. This is the deepest, bluest motherfucking seest you'll ever see. <laughs> Any more bad? Um, let's see. Uh. Bad, bad, bad. No, I think the rest, yeah, we can move on to questionable. Questionable is fun. I really have one on here, and it's really more of a uh, – I wanted to have a conversation back and forth of – in the preacher's recorded last will and testament, he states that <laughs> the perfect omelet is two, not three eggs, and amateurs often add milk for density, and this is a mistake. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. I'm a big um, I, I, I'm a big omelet guy. Uh, I love I love to make omelets for my family. Mm. In terms of eating omelets, I'm lukewarm on. I'd rather have almost any other egg variation, but I love making omelets. Mm. Uh, and I always think about this line. I've thought about it forever. Two eggs makes the perfect omelet. Three eggs is too much. It's just too many fucking eggs in in the bowl. While you're like incorporating everything it seems like it's enough eggs but then once you get going you're like this is a mo- this is too many eggs two is the perfect size for an omelet yeah. i agree with his assessment and adding milk for density is for amateurs and that's often a mistake my mom always taught me to put to add milk to the to the eggs and i always think about that line and i've actually have since stopped putting milk in my omelets because of yeah it. how do you make your omelets <laughs> it's my question <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. So I, for years, was a brunch cook. So this is okay. We're getting some insight. I'm glad I brought this up now. So typically when we would make our eggs for the, the buffet, we would add sour cream. I knew that there was cooks that would make it with milk. I personally don't do that. I never in my time of being a line cook and, and doing that sort of stuff, I never heard that it was a faux pas necessarily to add milk, but not until know. I saw this movie. Did I yes. ever think that was like a, well, he does. He's not saying like, he's saying like amateurs add milk. Like if right. you, if you're in the know, you don't add milk. I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't personally do it, but I knew people that have done it and I'd never heard otherwise. I've always heard that it's, you know, it's good to make your eggs fluffier. Yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought it was a fluffy factor, but, fluff, um, fluff factor. Yeah. Fluff it. Well, but. Th- thus concludes the culinary corner of <laughs> what? Mo- moving on. <laughs> what questions did you have? That was my only question. Um, so my question that, that kind of crossed my mind when Stellan Skarsgård, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on his, uh, What's his character's name? 
Because oh, he has um, he has a regular ass white guy name instead of a, a he's the Scandinavian other one. Doctor, he's Doctor Jim Whitlock. Whitlock. Thank you, thank you, Whitlock. When he is is uh, maimed, dismembered by the the shark, and their uh, recourse is to have him flown out via helicopter my thought was okay this facility is rather large and is in the middle of nowhere and seemingly has you know an endless amount of money thrown at it you know has a pretty deep budget deep pockets why is there not some sort of robust medical facility on the grounds to just deliver him to you know why why like that to me just seems completely inept is to be like, okay, if anybody gets hurt, I mean, this is the thing. You're working with killer sharks. So the incidence and probability of some sort of danger is extremely high. So wouldn't you kind of figure that into like, okay, we're building this facility that's hard to get to. It's remote. Put a fucking hospital or medical facility in there. So... It's that an excellent was- question. It's a good. It's a really good question. Nothing I've ever thought about either. Um, yeah. Do you? So I. I mean, I don't agree that they should have like a full service fucking. No, like, no, no, medical. no. I agree though. Like, you make me think. Like, why not? Why wouldn't they have any like a fucking nurse on staff? Like someone they could put a band aid on or something. Like I don't. I think the catastrophicness of his injury. Uh, it lend itself to having to be air rescued. Cause I think it's just like, we have to get him to a, an actual nearest hospital. Like it's, he's, he's an amputee, but I, I agree. I, like there's not I, yeah, even a medical service on the lab at all. There should be some in, in, intermediary because, you know, he needs to be anesthetized and like they need to cauterize that arm. Like there could be like basic, like there could be basic, facility you know kind of means on site but obviously you know if that was the thing it kind of it throws off the whole you know next device or aspect of the movie that creates all the pandemonium that leads to what happens in the movie because that the him getting airlifted and 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 then the the uh no, it's the, one of the, the best scenes in the movie. The, yeah. the, the winch being caught and then him being thrown into the ocean and then grabbed by the shark. That's the whole – That's the, those are the dominoes that fall that lead to the ultimate, like, catastrophe. Yeah. And leads to the, the un, unfortunate and untimely death of, of uh, Tony Soprano's sister, which is really the big <laughs> casualty of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I'm not sure I made that connection till you said that. I that's fucking yeah. crazy. Holy shit! I don't. Yeah. I haven't seen The Sopranos, and I love The Sopranos, but I haven't seen it in so long. You're totally right. Holy shit! And her name's she like just Karen in the movie. <laughs> yeah, just goes too soon. But also, like Stellan Skarsgård, I feel like gets gets murked pretty soon too. I like him so, but yeah, not yeah. to be understated, Skarsgård gets it immediately. <laughs> yeah, so and he has um, the gnarliest death. Like that, that death sucks ass. Like in terms of right, it's, it's not immediate. Fire, how I would want to be killed? That would be the the least of my fucking options. Yeah, which leads me to another question about injuries um preacher gets 
gets fucking thrown around like a chew toy. Yeah. And somehow is still, he just kind of throws some bandages on him and he's okay, more or less. So it like, seemed like the way he was attacked. I think, I think the movie wanted to, wanted to make you think he, that he was going to die. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I get that. And that's, that was, like I said, one of the fun aspects of the movie is it throws you for a loop and thinking that, oh man, that guy's going to die. But then he's okay. But <laughs> I actually think I have a better answer for you in the wiki wormhole. Cause now that I'm thinking okay. about it, I actually think I know the exact answer to your question. So let's put a pin in that. And then okay. maybe my explanation will make sense. Fair enough. Um, I think I might've read what you're talking about, but um, we'll leave it to that. Uh, let's see. Do I have any other questions? No, I think those are the main ones for me. You know, other than if we wanted to get real nerdy about some of the engineering and, you know, myth bustery aspects, which there's one thing that it, it, you may bring up in the in the trivia that was brought up that we can talk about later. But and aside from what you might be talking about. Yeah, I you know, I'm not trying to get like all shark nerdy on this fucking <laughs> shit, but like. Sharks don't swim backwards and like, yeah. and there's like tons of, I mean, yeah, again, I'm not trying to actually do that. Um, oh, there was, there was another, yeah. I had a question about, uh, real quick was the, <laughs> the idea that McAllister decides to, to use herself as bait there at the end. That's, I mean, I don't know. Other than that, it just leans into the idea that she's a, a re- she's a really dumb, smart person. You know, like that was funny to me, like because she's just making all kinds of just dumb mistakes, being a brilliant scientist. Uh, But that that idea that she thinks she's going to actually escape, escape the fate of, you know, being used as a fucking as chum by, uh, you know, bleeding in the ocean. But, you know, she knows what she's created. Well, and and I think maybe that's the whole thing is okay, she is a sacrificial lamb. She realizes she fucked up, she had fucked up. So she's trying to save, you know, the potential of, of more extensive disaster being, you know, unleashed upon the world. If the shark leaves, I get that. So she's, she's like, okay, I'll, I'll fucking sacrifice myself because I'm the one that's, you know, fucked up so bad. So here you go. I'll die. So, Okay. And I think so the, the LL Cool J question that you had, I think what I the information that I have, I think ties all that up or answers that question in terms of the ending and, and both of those scenarios, uh, Susan's death and LL Cool J's uh, seeming seeming death. But well, OK, matter. like I said, now I know what you're going to talk about, which, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to do with an internal explanation in the movie. It's. No, it's no, ex- it's just it was an external uh, decision by yeah. the producer. It's, yeah. it's the way the movie was was shot and then reshot that actually right. causes that yes. error. Yes. Um, no other questions. I, I this isn't a question, but it, it's an explanation to a question that neither one of us posed. But I saw a fan a, a fan theory that said that um, at the very beginning of the movie, when the Gen One Mako escapes and, and goes to that catamaran. He actually has no intention of escaping and actually knows that he's going to get caught. Right. But he's using it as like a reconnaissance mission to see like, would we survive outside these walls if we're not being fed? 
if is the water too cold, too warm? Like what, what yeah. is going on outside these walls? I will go explore. If I get brought back, I don't know if he's communicating with the other ones, but it's, it's to kind of figure it out, which I thought was actually really cool. Yeah. That was a fun speculation that I read about too, because so when I started watching the movie last night, I wasn't completely immersed in it right there in the beginning. So I actually was a little fuzzy towards the end of it as to why they had the the initial setup of the shark going after this college students or whatever. And I had to, after I did the research and all that, I was able to tie it all back in to why that existed. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was a, a, a fun speculation for somebody to bring up about. Right. That yeah. Thing. I thought it was really cool. I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, okay. Done with the questionable. Now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this room. So we wrapped up the good, the bad, and the questionable. So let's move on to our awards and categories section. Why don't we? Yes. Starting with quotes. Um, surprisingly, this isn't like a, I mean, it, there's some great <laughs> quotes in the movie, but I don't think that it's, they got as many as you'd think it would for like a really stupid, big budget shark movie. <laughs> I was going to say there are a lot of quotes, but there are a lot of like, they're just, d- <laughs> they're dumb, fun quotes or dumb. Like, you know, I don't, when you hear that, you're like, I don't know if that's true, but. Yes, there are a few. There's a few. And actually, I think Preacher almost exclusively has all the good ones. (laughs) Yeah, right. Which is funny. But my favorite quote is when he says, I'm done. Brothers never make it out of situations like this. Not ever. Which is a good good, uh, mindfulness of how black people are treated in these kinds of movies. So I really like that one. And once he gets to the surface, he's like, says something about like time for sushi. You're like, let's get some sushi. Some, yeah. some real stupid fucking fish. He's puns. got a lot of zingers. He's got a lot he of does. zingers. One liner zingers. And for Michael Rappaport being in this movie, who we have not mentioned yet, which is funny, uh, you right. think he would have just a million quotes, but he's actually not playing like a goofy goofball funny guy. Uh, he's like the engineer of the of the of the facility, so he's somewhat a serious character. He's got some lines here or there, like he's he's talking about like, well, doesn't a girl doesn't a girl use batteries for something like where's the vibe? He's like insinuating like where's the vibrator in this room? Yeah. Uh, well, that's what batteries. Yeah. That's what's funny about this movie is all the people that you expected to have the zingers and the one liners like Samuel L. Jackson and Rappaport. They don't get it. They all they all give them to LL Cool J in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I Do you have any other quotes you want to throw out there? Yeah, I do actually. I, and they're more they're more uh, preacher quotes, but uh, just the uh, "you ate my bird." That oh, one, yes, that's a good one. Okay, but anyways, <laughs> and also this was the one where when I when I read it and I thought about it because I actually missed in my mind where it happens in the movie. I was like, I don't know about that, but then when I read about it, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that does, you know, track was the one where he says Einstein's theory of relativity, grab, mm. grab hold of a hot pan. A uh, second can seem like an hour. Put your hands on a hot woman. An hour seems like a second. It's all relative. And 
I was like, okay. And then I read about it. I was like, that's actual, like an almost verbatim Einstein quote in terms of him talking about relativity. And then after I read the Einstein quote, I was like, oh yeah, I do remember reading that he did say that about relativity. Damn. So that's tight. Yeah. And, and Michael, Michael Rappaport's character, uh, Tom, Tom says like, I spent four years at Caltech and that's the best, uh, that's the best physics explanation I've ever had. Or like whatever the fuck he says. I, I love his yeah. response to it. So it actually does, it does track. That was a reference to the only variation in the Einstein quote is instead of saying, put your hands on a hot woman, he says, put your hands on an attractive girl or attractive yeah, woman. Yeah, I imagine that. Yeah. Can you imagine? Which yeah, I don't know if you knew this, Einstein, he was a ladies man. Well, was he? Okay. Yeah, actually, he was. That was one of the uh, one of uh, controversial aspects of him was he actually was kind of a philanderer. He, he oh, okay. he, he slept around apparently behind his wife's back. He was a, he he was an adulterer. Uh, I could see him being like, "You think this brain is big? Just wait till you see what's downstairs." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was. A Have you ever had big brain, big dick? Hmm? <laughs> It's a perfect Einstein. Uh, it's uh, really good. <laughs> Einstein impression. I love that. Best um, impressions. <laughs> we, more we like do my the... mom. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's um, always talking about her big dick. Always talking about the big dicks. I love it. That's why I love your mom. <laughs> In Greek culture, mom. uh, moms and dads have big dicks. <laughs> Thus, what does that say about your dick? Obviously. <laughs> Real small. Opposite. It skips a generation. Yeah. Two uh, Audis <laughs> making any, actually. So. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, other than that one, this one's actually attributed to uh, Carter. Uh, the No, what you've done is take God's oldest killing machine and give it will and desire. What you've done is knocked us all the way to the bottom of the goddamn food chain. It's not a great leap forward in my book. So that one was attributed to someone That's other than a really good one. I love when they're giving it to Susan after all that. They're all just like, fuck, like we're fucked. We're so fucked, you stupid. I think that well, I won the blog girl's like, you stupid bitch. Like everyone's so fucking mad. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's good. So, so there you go. Um, okay. Well, and, and yeah. And so Michael Rappaport also piggybacks off of that and says, now you see how that works? She's screwed with the sharks. Now the sharks screw with us. That's one of the, that's one of the best <laughs> Michael Rappaport lines in the movie. I love that. Line. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to best scene, worst scene. Uh, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Mine was the Whitlock getting his arm torn off into the base of the entire helicopter snafu. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The laboratory scene is my favorite fucking scene in the movie. It's so grandiose. Like the, like it, I, I, again, I don't think Rennie Harlan thinks about this kind of shit, but they look it. They, it's like a reverse aquarium. Like the big glass window is almost like they are inside the aquarium and the sharks yeah. are like the people on the outside looking in. Um, yeah. And I'm sure he didn't think of it like that, but I love the set design on that. And everything mm. about that scene is so good. The arm is almost a bigger, <laughs> what the fuck than Samuel Jackson dying. And it's <laughs> unlike Samuel L. Jackson's death. They use that really badass mechanical shark and it looks horrifying it is horrifying when his arm right. gets cut off it's so good yeah well i was gonna say aside from that my other uh next best scene would be the whole scene where preacher's stuck in the oven 
The kitchen <laughs> scene is so good. He when has the axe his way out. into the oven above him. Yeah, yeah. He's got another great line. He's like, the irony of a chef dying in his own oven, but not today. Like, he, I, it's great. It's so much good shit going on. The kitchen is is second only to the laboratory. But yeah, the kitchen yeah. scene is is great. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I got to give it to the laboratory scene. As well as, we talked about this, but Dr. Jim... His death is insane. Like this idea that the helicopter would get dragged down, kill Tony Soprano's sister. <laughs> the, fucking, the shark would have uh, the him on the stretcher in his maw and would just <laughs> yeah. launch it into the fucking glass just to bring down the subterranean. Lab. It, it's so inventive and, and cool. It's so good. Yeah. So that's all great. And that's, yeah, that's easily. Yeah. I were in total agreement. What's the worst scene? I was going to say basically every other scene where the sharks attack people underwater, which is the horrid CGI. I was going to, it, I'm, I'm more specific with, I'm taking what you're saying and more specifically, Dr. Susan's death is the worst is not only the worst death in terms of imagination, but it's the worst death. Cause it almost seems like there's no, there's, I'm not sure there's any party in that scene. That's an actual human or shark. <laughs> it's like two CGI <laughs> sharks, a CGI person, like CGI water. Like, I'm not even sure that was like made in like Photoshop or something. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. That scene is awful. It's one of the worst scenes. Okay. Moving on to the Dahmer. I hardly know her award for the most killer performance in the movie. I gave mine to Michael Rappaport. Um, oh, really? I was going to give it to LL Cool J. Uh, but I love Michael Rapport in this movie. I think he he does a fucking fantastic job with with even few even less screen time than LL Cool J. LL Cool J ends up getting a lot of screen time. I actually have no problem with him getting this award, but I, I gave it to Michael Rapport because he does a lot with even less screen time. Fair enough. I gave it to LL Cool J and his bird. Deservedly so. Yeah, him and <laughs> him and the parrot. Him and the parrot deserve it for sure. Yeah. The Michael Rooker Award. Uh, that goes to the most evil fucker in the movie. Uh, who is the most evil fucker in this movie? The sharks. I said Dr. Susan. Right. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it was the sharks for me. Either if, I'm gonna, if I'm going I'm to give it a, a little twist. Basically, the the you chose ones. Frankenstein's monster. Or, yeah, you chose Frankenstein's monster and I chose Dr. Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> Just the way that happened. The thing is, though, with, with Susan, she's not really evil. I don't think. Like, I mean, yes, evil in the you know putting profits over anything else sort of said. She she is to make the aliens connection. She is like the uh, uh, fucking. Uh, I'm gonna have to edit this down because I'm drawing a fucking blank. What's a uh, homeboy and aliens? The, the robot. No, um, God damn it! Uh, aliens fucking, or aliens? Paul, Paul Reiser. Oh, Paul. She's Reiser. like the. She's kind of the Paul Reiser in this. I feel like where she's the scheming, just kind of idiot that's just keeps making the the crisis worse. She just well, keeps she exacerbating the situation. She not only genetically engineered the sharks, but she did it in secret and yeah 
to the demise of other individuals who had nothing to do with it. And she sure. did all yeah. of it with, with her counterpart. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think she, she wanted to skew the results of the, uh, of the test of the testing in her favor. And when it wasn't, wasn't a large enough sample size, they genetically engineered fucking innocent animals. And then, unwittingly brought a bunch of humans into the fucking equation just to be fed upon and then kept it from them. It's the keeping right. it from them. That is the worst. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm totally in agreement with you on that assessment. And that's why, again, I feel that she is a parallel to the Paul Reiser character where there's, there's an agenda behind what, what he is doing and he's keeping critical information secret throughout the whole movie that would be valuable to those you know around him and he doesn't have their consideration or best interest in mind he's just like let's just keep pushing through this awful scenario because at the end of it if i get to the end of it i'm i've got the payoff you know yes and then when yeah. he gets caught he acts like oh like oh you know he's a he's a blubbering, blubbering idiot. yeah Weenie, and so is she. She's just like, oh, like you know, how did I know? Oh. So, yeah, agreed. Um, okay, Re- recasting couch. Um, I don't. I had a I had a lot of fun with this category. So. Oh, great. Okay, good. I only uh, have. Uh, I don't have like any imaginative recasting. I just have like actual casting. Uh, original casting that was was on the table, which was Samuel Jackson, which was originally one, uh, was originally pitched to be the preacher. Yeah. Um, but his agent rejected the role because it was too small. And so they actually created the role of Russell Franklin, the pharmaceutical guy mm. and all that specifically for him. And then after that, Harlan personally went to bat for LL Cool J being the preacher, which the studio did not want. Um, but he pushed hard for it and, I'm glad he did. He just thought the character needed like this funny earnestness to him that he thought LL Cool J was perfect for. And he was, yeah. he was totally right. So what a mm-hmm. weird movie to think of Samuel Jackson as the preacher. I think, I, I think that works still, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, but it's it definitely like seemed like, out. right. It seemed from what I read that the Samuel L. Jackson's agent thought that that was below him at that point. Like you need to give him a beefier, more important role, or one that's not so. I guess you could look at this as being, in terms of casting and moving, is kind of stereotypical. Like, oh, the funny black guy, you know, which is funny because Preacher has more of a fleshed out role. (laughs) He's more developed than anybody else in the whole movie. I know. So then they like pitched it back to them and they're like, okay, we have this Russell Franklin character and he's going to die. So Samuel Jackson's going to have the big death scene in the middle as a surprise. And then the agent was like, yes, that's so funny and good. Like Samuel's going to love that. So like they they turned down a meteor role for like, I guess they just really liked the surprise kill. I think maybe that's, that's what they liked. And maybe that, yeah, it's strange. They turned it down, but it was, they turned it down for actually a, not as fleshed out role. I don't, right. It's, it's, there was some interesting back and forth, right, that happened. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. What fun was did you it? have? Because, well, so I didn't conceptually try to recast this because I actually, to piggyback off of what I was said 
earlier, I think this is perfectly cast because he used that alien formula of like really weird character actors uh, and, you know, you got a rapper and then you got like a fucking big name guy and uh, unknown actors and just did a hodgepodge of, of good casting. So, I, yeah, no, I don't sure. have any sort of and it's 1999. So it's like wasn't that far away. And I couldn't really think of actors from that time that I would recast. So what, what did you have? So my, my picks didn't fall too far outside of that idea of having kind of, you know, obscure actors, especially for that time, but definitely people that became bigger as time went on due to subsequent roles. Whereas I feel like the actors in this movie, excuse me, they didn't necessarily, well, other than Samuel L. Jackson, they didn't necessarily ascend to greater roles as time went on. They kind of like more middling as far as I can tell. Uh, but off the top, because I made this joke immediately when I see Thomas Jane is Aaron Eckhart. He is he is a poor man's Aaron Eckhart. So I can't I, believe I we haven't talked about Thomas Jane yet. It, we we are at the hour twenty mark, and we're just now bringing up Thomas Jane because this is why, and this is another throwback to talking about Waterworld. Is in terms of like a leading man hero role, like with with fucking what's his fuck with with Waterworld. Costner. He's not. Costner, thank you. He doesn't stand out really to me. He's a, he's a pretty boring middle and kind of white guy lead. He, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. He's, he can fucking like ride sharks like horses or whatever, but I don't know. He just doesn't really stand out. And like His I said, kid, to me, but him as an actor is such a, I, I don't have much to say other than like, he's such a weird actor. Like he's just kind of this, Right. Like what you said, a middling like B movie actor that just has done a ton of stuff like he's in the mist. And I mean, and I I remember liking him in the mist, I think. But whatever. He's got a he's got like kind of like a punchable face and he kind (laughs) of has Carrie Yule's vibes where he kind of seems like uh, Carrie Yule's dials it up to where he becomes a petulant baby bitch. And I fucking I like he's got Carrie Ewells has a punchable face. And I think Thomas Jane has a has a puckered mouth, pretty boy, punchable face. Yeah. Whereas, again, Aaron Eckhart is a pretty boy, very handsome, you know, leading man kind of dude who I feel has done a better job in, in those capacities, especially in um, Dark Knight Rises. You know, it's like. You can't imagine anybody else being fucking Two Face after seeing him in that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I recasted Aaron Eckhart as Carter Blank. That's a really Black good Blake, call. Blake. Yeah. Um, I recast Dave Chappelle as Preacher. That's fantastic. I recast Giancarlo Esposito as Russell Franklin. I really so, love him a lot. Wow, that's good. You're yeah, because I it. feel like. He plays a more like steely kind of executive businessman type, you know, that's also also a maniac, but not necessarily that that's what this role called for. But I feel like it would add a little bit more depth to that character. That's good. Um, Yeah. uh, Famke Jensen as Susan McAllister. 
I'll put Famke Jensen in any movie. And anything, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And then uh, Marilyn uh, Rajskub. I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name correctly, but from 24. She's from 24 and from Mr. Show. She was uh, she was David Cross's girlfriend during Mr. Show. She's a blonde actress. She's actually like really funny. Oh, she, Marilyn Rajskub. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I put her as Janice Higgins. Oh, yeah. So there you go. That's my recast. This is that the Famke Jansen one is actually phenomenal because the the vapid actress that they had playing <laughs> Dr. Susan is like unbelievable. Like, yeah, Famke would have nailed that out of the fucking park. I agree. So I feel like that might have ele- that casting would have would elevate the movie a little bit more. I didn't have a recast for Rappaport because I feel like. Hell yeah. But I feel like they should have leaned into more Rappaportisms with this movie for sure. I think in 1999, he just wasn't like a, as obviously he was nowhere near like a household name as he is now. Well, yeah, because at that point, I think as far as what I recognized him from in that era would have been, um, what is it? Uh, uh, God, what's that? I'm having so many brain farts. What's that movie he's in with? With Ice Cube, where he plays the Nazi. My, Rappaport plays the Nazi? Yeah, you know what movie I'm talking about, right? It's like Higher Do Education. I, You've never seen this movie? Pro, higher Learning. Higher Learning. No, I've never if seen you haven't Higher seen, Learning. Oh, dude, you got to see that movie. So Rappaport plays uh, a Nazi in that. He plays he plays an incel-turned-Nazi type dude. Like a, a fucking, uh, yeah. And he does That's an drives. amazing job. It's basically I, like I he he's in true romance too. He's in true romance. But anyway, so that was like this movie is in between that role and when he, you know, was on the Chappelle show. And so I feel like subsequently after that, yeah, he got to be a little bit better known. That's tough. But yeah, I, I, your recasting was perfect. Okay. So we can wrap this up with the wiki wormhole. Um, to lead off the wiki wormhole, we've got the body count, which is which I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you say and, because there's conflicting numbers. But you go ahead. So I have nine, right? And the kill count video that I saw was very definitive in terms of it was nine. Um, so I mean, three sharks I, and a parrot die. <laughs> the one I watched said uh, thirteen. Right. So. Nine plus three sharks and a parrot, I think is what yes. where the math is with that. Right. Correct. They're okay. counting the the animals dying. But nine people, yes. three sharks and a parrot. <laughs> yes. There so you that's go. how okay. I, think, I think they get to 13, um, which is nowhere near 87, which is our record right now with Dead Alive. That's probably never going to get beat. But we never thought the Waterworld one would get beat. That was our standing champion for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. This is fucking crazy. I did not know this. And this this is perfect for season two. Thomas Jane was married to Rutger Hauer's daughter. Did you know that? Oh, didn't know that. I didn't, Aisha, that didn't come up in my research. Aisha, Aisha Hauer was daughter of Rutger Hauer. They got married in 1989. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> they even started a number of films together before they got divorced in 1995. And then he went on to marry Patricia Arquette. So I don't know. That guy. 
He's a real yeah, I didn't know about either one of those. Enigma. Yeah, he's an enigma. I, he's so strange to me. I don't know. And, and, and But I'll say this. Hey, good on him for being uh, a dude that, that got to nail Patricia Arquette because that lady That's is... so fine. But also, Rutger, Howard, Rutger Howard's daughter, I had to look her up because I'd never heard of her. She was a, is very good looking, but imagine Rutger Howard as your father-in-law. Oh my gosh! But that's the thing. I could imagine without even seeing what she looks like that she'd be attractive because Rucker Hauer was an attractive, you know, Scandinavian eyes. looking yeah. man. So I'm like, I'm sure his spawn's gonna be hot too. So. Yeah, it's a it's an Aryan family tree. <laughs> <laughs> Very Scandinavian features. Like his daughter is just bleach white hair and and uh, yeah. blue eyes. Okay. The mechanical shark in Jaws was 25 feet long, so Harlan, of course, had to make his shark 26 feet long. Yeah. Just had to one-up Spielberg. The light, and this is a litany of, of Jaws references, but the license plate that's pulled from the shark's teeth is the same exact one found in, in the tiger shark in Jaws, which is phenomenal. I, I have so many questions, though. This Was this prop just on some back lot in universal, like they kept the license plate from jaws. It's crazy. I, I'm glad he got a hold of it. That that's nuts. I, I yeah. never would think it was the exact same one. Um, really wild, but, uh, this goes into my shark nerd. Uh, I haven't done a shark nerd aside in a, for this whole podcast. So I'll just reserve it for this, but, Tiger sharks are notoriously known as the garbage cans of the sea. And that's, that's a real thing. They, they find like license plates and, and fucking tires and shit inside of them all the time. Mm. But Mako sharks would never, they, they would never see that inside of a Mako shark. That just they, did not happen. Mako sharks are, have, go ahead. I was going to say they have a more refined palate. They, yeah. I, they, they're uh-huh. the, they're the cheetahs of the sea. They're just fast <laughs> as fuck. They're smaller than a tiger. They're less aggressive, but they're super fast and they've got like razor sharp teeth. Um, but anyway, that ends the nerd shark talk. Um, this is the first movie that Stephen King saw after his, uh, nearly fatal accident when someone in a van, like random fucking down in his hometown. This is his mm-hmm. first movie that he saw. And he said, quote, my first trip after being smacked by a van and almost killed was to the movies. I went in my wheelchair and loved every minute of it. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, I did. That's a that. that's strange good. thing to envision. Uh, and this is, to go back to answer some of the, of our questionable, the original version, and this is kind of what we both were talking about. The original version, Dr. Susan lives and preacher dies at the end, but test audiences did not like it whatsoever because they saw Dr. Susan as the villain throughout the movie. And so Harlan went back and changed it. And that's why Dr. Susan's death is so shitty because she jumps in the water as a distraction. And I think they had to go back and do like a CGI death that sucked ass. And I think <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why it looks like uh preacher's going to actually get it, but they end up just maybe reshooting it and just having them bandaged up on the side. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, what was it? One of the, um, the people in the, in the, the, the test quorum or whatever they wrote on their notes, kill that bitch. Or something yeah. like that. People fucking, <laughs> hated her which is crazy because the the movie doesn't lean hard she has like very little she has very few lines the movie doesn't lean in hard i think people are just so mad because she's the one that put them in this situation and i think we both know 
that people's feelings towards women in that sort of role, like no one's like, fuck John Hammond, but no. because she's a female, we're more inclined to be like, fuck that dumb bitch for fucking putting everyone in danger. But like, no one's well, like, hey, fuck that old man, John Hammond, can't get anyone out of danger. Yeah, well, and that's why I thought it was funny and glad that whatever internal biases people have uh, actually worked out and in in a manner that I felt was better overall in the sense that they decided to save the black guy and make yeah. him the hero. And I was like, good on you. you. You were able to overcome some of maybe your uh, biases and, you know, and, and kind of you know, flip the script a little bit on what happens in Hollywood movies and, you know, have that guy come out on top. So thank you. Thumbs up to you. Test audience for test audience made that happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I did not know this. Uh, I didn't know a lot of this until I started researching it. This has got tons of good factoids. The three sharks die in the exact same way and in the exact same order as the first three jaws movies, which is, (laughs) Big explosion, ec- uh, big explosion, electrocution, big explosion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but explosions from from different different devices, incidentally. Yes, but yes, yes. Uh, which is a, a really cool nod and really mm-hmm. strange. Um, okay, so the the building of the mechanical makos. The filmmakers watched hours and hours of video of real makos swimming frame by frame, and then borrowed. Uh, equipment and technology that's typically reserved for Boeing 747s and built these sharks, which were basically self-contained units. Um, the remote-controlled machines had 1,000 horsepower engines and weighed 8,000 pounds and swam completely on their own without the use of external wires or any sort of external apparatus, uh, and they could swim up to 30 miles per hour. They built four-and-a-half sharks – Three 15-foot Makos, which played uh, as the first generation sharks, and one and a half generation two sharks, which represented that first generation's 26-foot long baby, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so they made four and a half of these motherfuckers, and they were hosses, big, big hoss motherfuckers. And like I said, the cast was completely petrified. Of, and they were genuinely worried that these things were going to hurt somebody because that seems like a really dangerous amount of horsepower. Um, yeah. To the point where they had to have a bunch of kill switches and fail safes in place to make sure that if they just could not fucking control this thing, that there could be a one button like kill uh, on the, on the mechanical sharks. <laughs> yeah. And to me, like that's <laughs> say what you will. Cause I made this comment while I was watching the movie about how, how much money gets dumped into these fucking big budget films, like just millions and millions of dollars when, you know, obviously it could be directed to so much better causes as far as helping humanity. But that's the thing, you know, when you get into these real nerd aspects about what goes into making them, it's, you know, you can't help but be like, that's fucking cool, dude. That, like it's, they, abs- it's so absurdly cool. And, and from like a prop, <laughs> a prop department, that is like the coolest thing you could ever work on. Like build me right. four and a half giant Mako sharks that are self-contained units that can swim on their own. Like that's yeah. nuts. They, they, that's pretty. It, 
that's the kind of dedication you wish they, so it's, it's, that's what's in fee, so infuriating. <laughs> they put all that dedication into it. And then it's just like, beep, bop, bop, like, let's just do a cartoon fucking bullshit CGI shark. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's kind of infuriating. Yeah. Um, I guess this would be the last nerd talk about sharks, but the generation two Mako in this movie is described as being 8,000 pounds and 45 feet long. That would make it more than four times the weight and three times the length of the largest Mako shark ever recorded. And it would even be twice the size of the largest great white shark that we even know of. Um, obviously with the genetic engineering, the, to make the brains bigger, everything kind of got bigger with that second generation of sharks that they, that they bred. So I mean, it, yeah. it all checks out in terms of the movie logic, but in terms of shark logic, those sharks in that movie were, are basically bigger than any, any shark that we know of today. Yeah. Do you have any, I, so like, there's so much, so many facts about this movie. I skipped over a bunch. I just, I, cause I could go endlessly on and on. I just picked out the ones I thought were the coolest. Do you have anything to throw on the on the shit heap here? Yeah, I want to add a few things and then kind of wrap it up because cool. I feel like on time or we won't, we need to contain this on time. But uh, there are other nerd aspects of this, many more, not necessarily shark nerd specifically, but uh, one thing in particular is the various characters in this uh, uh, or the actors in this movie were reunited at as characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there you go. Oh, weird. I, you know, I, we've, we talked about this before, but I don't watch I Marvel you, movies. You don't give a shit. And I, so. I don't give a shit, but that's wild. Really wild. and strange. Yeah. Well, well, and then Thomas Jane was uh, cast as the Punisher, but it's not within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So <laughs> that's another. No, that's like, in the Blue Lives uh, Matter universe. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, unfortunately, nowadays, even though like the Punisher is definitely not somebody. I'm not going to go too much into detail. No, I, I, I didn't mean to open up. A, a, yeah, right. You I, know what I mean, though? It's like, yes, God damn it. Unfortunately, no, it's but the no. same thing as the as the Calvin pissing on the Ford logo. Thing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it was something really got cool reappropriate. The yeah. exact opposite uh, intended purpose. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it got appropriated, unfortunately. But anyways, um, so there is that. Also, there was a fan that kind of made um, the point about, you know, throwing the whole uh, plot device off about the Alzheimer's protein being utilized. Uh, And I thought that was kind of interesting that um, they pointed out that they genetically engineer large, super intelligent charts because the issue they have is cost feasibility due to the yield of the anti-Alzheimer's protein from regular Mako sharks. However, if they can do that, then why don't they just isolate the DNA sequence that creates this protein and put that in a a black, uh, in a bacterial plasmid. They could then harvest the protein from bacterial cultures with a very low chance of anyone losing their favorite limbs. The protein they need may not have a corresponding DNA sequence. It might be the end product of a chemical reaction that takes place in the shark's cerebral fluids to modify a different protein reactions that they can easily replicate in a test tube. So that's a super, super nerdy scientific way of being like, they could have done this more efficiently without the, the high yield of danger, you know, being a parent. that guy, whoever the fuck that is. <laughs> if I was in a I, bar and I was wastedly talking about my love for deep blue sea and someone gave me that monologue, I would pour my drink <laughs> on their fucking head. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a lot of like pushing up your glasses. Well, actually, uh, actually, here's a bunch of bullshit you don't care about. When I'm like, yeah, dude, but uh, Skarsgård gets his arm ripped off. So why were you even watching this movie? <laughs> like, you right. don't even seem like someone that would have went to go see this. That's strange. That's that's. Uh, I like that someone did that though. Yeah, it was definitely like they put way more thought in that than they needed to, but that's funny. Um, but I did want to point out one last thing before we do uh, wrap this up is it is interesting that none of the heroes, quote unquote, in this movie kill the shark. Huh, yeah. Uh, well, if you think I, I consider Preacher a hero. Right. But you know what? Yes, obviously. But the, the leading people in this, the heroes, the, the ones that are intended I guess, you know, in conventional wisdom, like uh, um, Carter Blake and and Samuel Mm -hmm. L. Jackson, they don't kill any of the sharks. The sharks are killed. Two of them, incidentally, are are killed by Preacher. Two by Preacher, yeah. And then one one by by Susan. Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, yeah. So so there you go. Okay. Um, We would also be remiss uh, not to mention that this has uh, two direct – to video sequels, neither one of which I've seen, uh, and which, neither one of which I will ever see. So, right, you, uh, you really have to be a glutton for punishment to set aside any time in your life to be like, I'm gonna watch those. Yeah, I, I that's not on my radar ever. <laughs> and, and this is so. And again, this is all just due to my own particular persuasions and and, and interests. Is, there are definitely franchises that I will watch every garbage fucking sequel and iteration of. This is not one of them. So, no, I can't imagine it has anything to bring to the table. <laughs> um, okay, so let's rate this uh, movie for our iconography. Um, I said out of five severed arms. Do you have nice. anything better than that? Nice. Well, I mean, yes, that is the better one other than just the sharks, obviously. But I would say, yes, out of five severed arms, that's a good one. Out of five, what do you give it? I gave it three. It's a three out of five. I gave this a four out of five. Um, Nice. Which both of those ratings jive with our our assessment of the movie. So I'm not surprised by your rating. Um, (laughs) Yeah. nor, Nor do I think you're probably surprised by mine. Um, in terms of a midnight movie, where on the clock would we rate this as a midnight flick? I wouldn't say it goes past midnight, but no, I would say 11 or 1130. <laughs> yeah. Cause there is obviously some, some gratuitous violence in this, but again, the, you know, the fact that a lot of it though, other than the arm getting chewed off is the horrible CGI violence. It, it, it diminishes the actual overall, punch and impact of, of of the violence so agreed yeah um okay well now that we wrap that up what is on our next episode oh my friend i am very excited to present this one to you because i'm almost 100 positive you've not seen this movie and so it's it's we're we're, we're on course with this trend where we're, we're flipping back and forth, back, between, and forth, back and forth between movies that one or the other hasn't seen yet. But also in terms of in every way, shape or form, more or less, um, this is going to be the opposite of deep blue sea in terms of being the Shingles big bombast. List. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
uh, the notebook. Yes. Uh, no. Um, but no, in terms of budgetary um, oh, okay. uh, piles of money being heaped on on a movie, and in terms, of, yeah, just the whole uh, Hollywood bombast uh, of a movie, uh, but not. It is keeping in trend with um, gratuitous violence and um, cynical hatred being uh, maybe uh, imbued within the movie. So for next week, I'm so excited to watch this movie and hope that you haven't seen it and to talk about it. We're going to be watching Deadbeat at Dawn. Renegade director Jim, yes, Renegade director Jim Van Bevers, uh, in many ways, magnum opus. So, Dead Beat at Dawn. Dead Beat at Dawn. Well, (laughs) you know, if it's something that you're personally recommending and that I haven't seen, you know that I'm excited. I, uh, I trust you, and I think we have similar appetites cinematically so i'm uh, very excited yeah all, all parties involved you me and and the listeners uh, will be in for a huge treat i think uh either uh by listening to us talk about this or by themselves hearing about this movie for the first time and maybe seeking it out to watch it to to preemptively prepare themselves for our discussion so yes next time deadbeat at dawn Fantastic. Can't wait. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by uh, (laughs) an up-and-coming young rapper by the name of LL Cool J with his uh, track Deepest Bluest. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com F-L-I-X or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod for Adam Walker I'm Pat Mitchell see you in the deepest blue part of the sea dude word up LL don't issue a cease and desist that would be so Tightest heart, uh, even if we related, you eliminated regardless in the deep.